Remember I told you the message series is wild and free. And I, I, think, I think God wants us to be wild and free. And I, and I think when, when a lot of the things that we did growing up, we thought we were wild and free. But in reality, we, we learned when we got saved, like, wow, I was in a lot of bondage. Or, or maybe we're discovering now, I, I might have bondage in my life. How do I get out of this? Because I'm supposed to be free. And so I'm still living wild. You know, I, I want you to live wild. I want you to live filled with the Holy Spirit. I want you to know what the spiritual gifts feel like moving through you when the Holy Spirit speaks. That's wild. That's free. I want you to not have so much bondage and things happening whenever these triggers, whenever something happens or someone says something. I don't want you to lose it on them. I want you to be free from that. So we're going to talk about that today. I talked about last week. Remember, on, for me, this is a three-part series. We're going to have different speakers in our whole Freedom Ministry speaking throughout the summer. But I'm doing a three-part message, actually, Wounded Warriors, talking about men and women today. And this is Wounded Warriors 2. Last week I called it the secret sauce, trying to help men understand the secret sauce. But this week I'm talking at cold Soul Train, <laughs> codename Soul Train. Not that Soul Train. They're free. And I would love to see you be that free. But we're talking about a little bit different Soul Train. We're re- we're retraining our souls all together. Now, if you want to pick up old episodes of Soul Train, you can go to uversion.com. Because <laughs> I used to spend my Saturday nights watching some Soul Train. Reruns, reruns. I didn't really. Or did I? <laughs> <That's it. laughs> hey, but I, I also want to show you, I want to show you these graphics. So sometimes I'm flipping through Instagram and I see these, these statements from speakers, and I, and I love them. I really do. And, and I wonder, some, I bet sometimes people pass through these, and maybe they don't quite grasp what, what, what these gifted leaders are saying. This is Chris Vallotton over in Reading at Bethel Church. And he says this, until you have a private victory, you don't have a real public ministry. And sometimes you could skim over that and wonder, what do you mean like, I won a lot of video games at home while I was alone, and because I had those victories, now I have like a public ministry. I can go, or I ate a lot of hot dogs at home, and I've won. Like I really, I really moved the bar in my life. Now I can go have real ministry. <laughs> what we're talking about is, is really having a private victory. Like in, in the depths of your soul, you really overcome a major stronghold that was probably keeping you in bondage or keeping you connected to things of the past that were really hindering you from growing and being all God created you to be, really having real ministry. It's in those quiet place moments that, that life starts to happen, and, and it's hard for us sometimes to have, have those quiet space moments because of all of this. I mean, and I don't mean this, I mean all the social media, all the internet stuff, all the distractions, all, just, we, are, we, are, we are so distracted. We are so distracted, and so it's hard for us, this generation, to have those intimate, those quiet victories, those, those, those dark place victories, because Jesus says what is done in the dark will be brought to light, and that can be really good. We really want that, and so let's change what we do in the dark so that we can have that private, that, that public victory. Then this, Dr. Caroline Leaf, I love her. She's brilliant, and she says this, be grateful for triggers and moments of anxiety because they will show you what needs to be fixed and taken care of. Well, first of all, a trigger is just that, what I explained. Somebody does something or something happens or there's something gets close 
to an old memory that you don't even know is still affecting you, and all of a sudden you lose it, or you pop off, or you have this dark thought, or you have this, this thing happen inside of you, and you start acting like the person that you know you're not, it's because that moment, that thing was a trigger, and it reminded you subconsciously, not even consciously, of something that happened to you way in your past, and all of a sudden, boom, you start bringing it out into the flesh right there in the moment. Well, whenever you're a shooter, whenever you're, you know, you're a gunsman, you really want to have a light trigger. So real shooters, they'll, they'll take their gun apart. They'll put a more sensitive trigger on there so that whenever they pull that gun, they can shoot two shots faster than somebody can. Another person can shoot one shot. Well, you don't want that in this world. <laughs> what you want is a very long trigger when it comes to soul wounds and healing and freedom. You want it to take a lot of stuff. You want to be able to really sift through some stuff and go through some stuff before you fly off. In fact, you never want to fly off. You never want to lose it. Well, this is the real world, and we have, we have real individuals, and we have real souls, and not, in, not one person has ever been in this world, is in this world, that doesn't have some kind of wound, some kind of hurt in their souls, and eventually we live out of that. And I'm going to explain a little bit about that. I want to show you the six stages of our life real quickly, and it, it starts with our coming to Christ. We finally acknowledge that there is a God, okay, I'm going to give him a chance. And that's usually how most of us come to Christ, unless we've had a major crisis. And in that major crisis, we're like, I'm all in. I don't want to have anything else to do with this junk that I've been living and doing. That's really not life. I realize that's bondage. Not everybody has that experience. And so some are like more, I'm just going to try this thing out. Well, all of us at some point get some sense of discipleship if it's real, if our salvation moment is real. We start pursuing some kind of growth. Okay, there's the discipleship phase. That's number two, stage two. Then some of us start to actually start serving others. We take on the heart of God, and others are the heart of God. And so we become concerned for others because we want for them what God has done in our lives. And this is really only 10 to 20% of the church. And there's yet four more stages to go through. And so here is, at stage three, we're starting to serve. Now, not only do we have a target on our backs just because we came to Christ, we got discipled, and some of our stuff got healed up because we realized, oh, I wasn't supposed to be living that way? Okay, so God discipled some truth, His ways inside of us, and so we just kind of, okay, I'm going to stop doing that. That was easy. Those were some of the light bondages that we, we let go of. No problem. I'll exchange your way for my way in this area. I realize that this is not going to pay off in the long run, so we're willing to adopt God's Word in that area of our life, discipleship. That's what it is. So we start to serve. Next stage. All of a sudden, usually about this stage, we hit a wall. And this wall, you can't, you can't go over it, you can't go around it, and you can't climb under it. You have to notch at it, and you have to chip it away little by little. And unfortunately, this wall is actually more like a speedometer needle. It follows you throughout the journey of life that you have, and hopefully you deal with it, and it gets lesser and lesser and smaller and smaller, and it's no longer a major issue. Well, at this moment, this is where many people... They get hit by this wall, and a wall is providential. It can only be introduced by God. We cannot go and say, I'm going to look for my walls in my life. It's only brought in by God. Now, you may think you're engaging. You may, may think you're asking the Lord, but he is inviting you even to ask. That's how great God is. 
So here we are, we're confronted with this wall, and this could be those trigger moments where now I'm starting to serve because Satan does not want you to serve. He does not want you to be in the game because the more you serve, the more you're actually getting closer to your purpose and discovering why, he even, why God even created you. And so now you're moving towards your destiny in life to move God's purpose of eternity further. And Satan hates that. So he wants to keep you from doing that. In the meantime, he's going to allow these bubbling moments, these moments start to, uh, old memories, maybe he uses somebody you're, you're at work with. And this, is, this could be at work, you're, you're working your dream job, you're, you're in life, you're, you have your dream hobby or club, or maybe, it's, maybe it is church, and all of a sudden you start to work with somebody and they remind you of something way in the past and you don't know it, but you can't stand this person, trigger moment, and God is saying, I want to heal this thing. And rather than engaging the wall and confronting the wall, which is the issue that's down in your soul, you say it's this person. And all of a sudden you either take it out and you, you magnify your problem and you justify the soul wounds that are inside of you or you tuck and run and you're out of there. And that was the very thing that God had you, very place that God had you to be so that he could bring healing into your soul, but you are unwilling to deal with the wall in front of you, that brick in that moment, which was an invitation to the inward journey, because without the inward journey and us pursuing God in that inward journey, never are we going to truly have a great outward journey. And unfortunately, we're all pursuing an amazing outward journey, which is life and life more abundantly but we're unwilling to deal and allow God to deal with the inward stuff that he wants to find healing. He wants us to find healing over so that we can live the abundant life in Christ. Because we move, when, if, if we do, we begin to work with God through the wall. That needle will come around, that wall will come around, and it will follow us. But that's a good thing because once you get momentum with God and you find healing, you realize the very things that you thought he could never do. And then when he brings you freedom from them, the abundance and the vision, the understanding of life that you have, the wisdom that you have on the other side of that, you're like, wow, life is magnified. And then you actually say, what else, Lord? What next can we deal with? But without dealing with those moments and those hurts and those wounds, we're always stuck on the other side of the wall saying, uh-uh, ain't doing it, ain't going there, nobody going to touch this, this is, not, this is not me, it's everybody else in this world, and these are the people that find themselves very isolated, and life is actually navigating them because life is tough. It was tough for Jesus. Life is tough. And then we get to the seventh stage, and that's when we just become love. In stage six, we're like, you know what? I don't care. I know this has to be done to further the kingdom of God. I know this is what God is using me for in this season. I don't care if I like it or not. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to stick with it because I know this brings eternal value because it's about God's kingdom and not my kingdom. Yes. Yes. In that moment, whenever we do that, we stick through that, that's when we become love. And boy, everybody wants to be Bob Goff. He's this guy that everybody just love does. Whatever it is, love does. Just do it. If that's what people need, if that's what God is saying, just do it. We just become love. And all that stuff, all that stuff in the past no longer matters. But we've got to address the walls in our life. And this summer, we're going to be talking about these, these bricks that are within the walls. And I'm going to invite you to start dealing with the wall that is in your life. Because I have a wall in my life. You have a wall in your life. And boy, we want to tear some walls down yeah. so that we can actually do life. We want to thrive, and we want this nation, this city, this county to thrive. And it only thrives if we thrive. That's right. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, 
Thank you so much for all that you do. Thank you for all that you've done. And thank you for bringing memories back up into our souls, into our, into our minds, so that you can take us on a journey of finding healing, healing and abundance and truth and revelation and true freedom so that we can truly live wild and free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And Luke 4, 16 through 21, Jesus showed up on the scene and he's, he shocked everybody in this moment. He says, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He went to church on Sunday. Amazing. Jesus does it. And stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now they had been waiting for the long, uh, long uh, stint of Messiah. They knew he was coming at some point. They had no idea. And here comes the Messiah, this stranger, yet he was familiar because he grew up in that area. He walks in and he sits down. He reads this right here about the Messiah that they're waiting for. And he sits down. He says, that's me. Can you see the shock on this person? They think, I'm waiting on the Messiah. This crazy man walks in, says, here's the ministry that God gave for me to do and fulfill in your life, and I am he. He might have had everybody's attention. And what he was saying is, there are five, five foundational principles, five foundational ministries that Jesus has come to fulfill in each and every one of us. I'm going to give you these five, and they come in these two, two verses right here. One is salvation. One is salvation. You see it in verses 18. It says, to preach the gospel to the poor and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Salvation. Then it's the spirit baptism. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, he says, and he has anointed me. And we all need the spirit of the Lord upon us. And we all need to be anointed. And then healing. He says, to recover for recovery of sight to the blind. Now Jesus can heal. He will heal and he wants to heal. If you need physical healing, you need to come to Jesus. I promise you, he can heal you. Then freedom. You could say deliverance. That's liberty to the captives, those who are in bondage, who are imprisoned. He came to set them free. Now, he was very specific because I want to remind you, when John the Baptist went to prison, he sent his disciples to see Jesus. He said, are you the Messiah? I'm not so sure because I thought you you came to set at liberty the captives. And Jesus repeated all of that except for that verse. He's saying, I am all that, but I'm not coming to send the type of captive that you're thinking about. I'm coming to send to set free the captive who's in bondage spiritually. He got it, though. John got it. And so, freedom. And then emotional healing. He says that to heal the brokenhearted and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. We're going to talk about emotional healing today specifically, but he says to set at liberty those who are oppressed. In the King James Version, that word oppressed literally means, it says bruised to set at liberty those who are bruised. So we're talking today about the brokenhearted and the bruised. Broken hearts is this. Uh, broken comes from two words in the Greek. It's suntribo, 
suntribo, which means broken, or it literally, mean, literally means shattered. So if I, I had a jar and I just threw it on the ground, it would be suntribo, it would be shattered everywhere. And then heart is the word in Greek, cardia, K-A-R-D-I-A, which we get our word C-A-R-D-I-A, cardiac, cardiologist, you know, card, all the, this. And so heart, and so it literally means a shattered heart, this word, broken heart. Have you ever had a broken heart? Yeah. Next step, have you ever had a shattered heart? Yeah. We've got an emojis for broken heart. We don't ha- have the emoji for a shattered heart. <laughs> but I, there's a big difference. There's a huge difference. I have a broken heart, just a little bit light, but when you're shattered, boy, you're shattered, and it's messed up. But here's the good news. There is someone that can heal that, and that's exactly the reason that Jesus came. Jesus can put all of those little pieces back together, and he can make it whole again. He just wants to work with us to get there. So I'm going to deal, I'm going to deal with, these, uh, with two strongholds. I'm going to deal with two areas of strongholds, and one being the broken heart and the bruised heart. But there are many strongholds, emotional wounds that come through those. And what happens is many times our heart is broken, and our heart is broken, and a stronghold of rejection begins to enter in. And this takes place inside of us. The heart is broken over a relationship, over a marriage, over, over financial issues, uh, someone close to us. Our heart gets broken, and our heart is shattered over that. And then here comes rejection right there in that moment, and it enters, enters in. But I also want you to notice what happens because we're all susceptible to rejection. Every one of us. We were born rejected. We all carry rejection in our hearts because of what Adam and Eve did. We are rejected. And in fact, we can't even be accepted until the blood of Jesus has washed over us. And it's only when we truly come to Jesus are we accepted. But it's in that moment, yes, we're justified. Positionally, we are accepted then we think, well, why do I feel so rejected? Why do I carry around these old feelings and these old thoughts? How come I'm not washed new? And the fact is, spiritually speaking, positionally, you are washed new. Unfortunately, that's when the, the game begins on trying to wash and clean all of the old memories, the rejection, the hurts, and the wounds that we all, every believer, brings into their spiritual journey, their walk with Christ, and remember the wall. And because so many people won't face the wall, we have a broken body of Christ. And I don't mean broken in the right way. I mean hurt, wounded, beat up, desperate, rejected, not fulfilling the destiny and the dreams that God had created, the purpose that God created us for, and we're doing it together. And in fact, most oftentimes, we're hurting each other. Yeah. Rejection. Rejection does this. I want to I show you some things. In Numbers 14, 34, track with me a little bit. These were the Hebrews. They had gone into the wilderness, and they were sent to go across, across the river uh, into the promised land, but they had so many doubts, and yet along the way, they also rejected God in, in the desert. And he says this in verse 34, According to the number of the days in which you spend out, uh, spent, uh, spied out the land, 40 days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection. This is the moment for 40 years, the Hebrew people, God's people, his church of the time, we're going we're gonna to experience his rejection because they first rejected him. Now he's talking to the children of Israel. 
He says, because you rejected me, you're going to know my rejection. And then look at this in Hosea 8.3. Israel has rejected the good. The enemy will pursue him. Now we're talking about, we're talking about the enemy gets a stronghold when he says, he says, you've rejected me. You've rejected my way. And so because you've rejected my way, you have opened a door to the enemy. So it's like this. This room is a safe room. It's got walls and it's got windows that are covered. It's got a door back here, a door over there. And let's just say God's way, let's just say this was a hedge of protection, as Scripture would say. And let's say that hedge of protection is God's way of doing life and living life. And as long as we're, we're living His life, everything is safe. That hedge of protection is around us. But in the areas of life where we choose to say, my way is better than your way, God, and we choose not to do what he says according to his word, it's like me opening this door, and I know terrorists are right outside this door, but yet because I choose not to do it God's way, I'm just going to open this door, and what I'm doing is I'm opening, I'm leaving an open door to the enemy. And that's exactly what God is saying to his people whenever they rejected him and they would not do things according to his word, his way. He's saying, and the rejection is, he's not physically rejecting them. He's saying, if that's what you want, I'll let you have it. And so I want to talk to you about some strongholds, some broken hearts result from rejection and and open doors to seven emotional strongholds. Seven emotional strongholds. And some people call these personality disorders, but I'm telling you, these are emotional wounds. They're strongholds, and they have spiritual connection, deep spiritual connections to them. These disorders, as science will say, can be fixed, but it's going to take the process of what you're going to learn throughout this summer and in August at the whole seminar. We, have, we do have personalities, but they're emotional strongholds. They are emotional strongholds that keep people in bondage. I want to talk to you about the first one is anger. Anger, it manifests in many ways. You know, it can be as slick as sarcasm. Your anger can build up and you're just sarcasm and really sarcastic and really witty. And what you're doing is you're, you're expressing your anger to sharply hurt the other person. It could be explosive. Like I'm just losing. All of a sudden, trigger moment happens and you lose it. You get extremely angry for some reason, and you turn it, maybe it's rage or violence, and you just got to punch something or punch somebody, or you know, somebody's gonna, something's going to pay for it. Anger. It's a deep emotional wound. It's got, it's got a spirit connected to it. Look at this. 1 Samuel 15, 26 says this, But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. Now, the, word, the Lord sent a word to Samuel through the prophet Saul. Sent a word to Saul through the prophet Samuel. <laughs> and Saul, having external pressure and fear and doubt, said, no, I'm going to do it my way. And he did something completely different. Samuel shows up and says, Saul, what have you done? Why did you do this? I, I told you. Here's what the Lord said. So here's what Samuel is saying. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And what happens next is in, verse, in chapters 19, 9 through 10, says, Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing music with his hand. Then Saul sought, sought to pin David to the wall with his spear. 
But he slipped away. He, David, slipped away from Saul's presence, and he, Saul, drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. I want want you to see this distressing spirit, and I do want you to know that this distressing spirit was from the Lord. And that's hard to accept sometimes. It's hard to understand because God is good, and he is very good, and he's a great father. But this distressing spirit was from the Lord. And this word distressing is in the Old Testament 663 times. 442 of those times, distressing is translated as evil. So this evil, in other translations, you'll see an evil spirit of the Lord came upon Saul. And I'm going to explain this a little bit later. So Saul was rejected. Saul rejected the word of the Lord. And so therefore God said, okay, that's fine that I'm going to reject you from being the king, being my leadership. And a spirit, an evil spirit, came upon Saul. What Saul did was Saul literally said, no, I'm going to open the door to the enemy because I'm going to do it my way. And God said, okay, if that's what you would like, I will let you have that. And so when the evil spirit would come upon him, he would go into an uncontrollable rage or anger, so much so that he wanted to kill somebody. You see that in what he, what he tried to do to David. And then number two is insecurity. Insecurity. People who constantly need attention. These are, and this, I'm, I'm telling you this, I'm, I'm trying to be very gentle too because these are very sensitive subjects. These are very difficult subjects. And, and many of you are going to say, in my heart, that's me. I, I wrestle with that. And that's why we're here today because we're going to get set free from that today. We're going to begin the process of making that trigger a lot longer and a lot harder to pull and a lot harder for you to be set off. And it's going to take, you're going to be able to take a lot. And in fact, you're going to be able to resist so much that you're actually going to have these marker moments in your mind. And you're saying, oh, here's the moment when I start to do this. I'm not going to do this. Okay? So insecurity. Number two is insecurity. These people need a lot of attention. I mean, they, they, they constantly need, need to be praised. If they, they'll, they'll look for the right place to sit in the room so that they can be recognized, or at the table, or at dinner, or whatever it is, or at a meeting. They're going to look around and see what's the best angle so that they can be seen and recognized in the situation or the moment. And maybe you're in a meeting place, and maybe you're presenting something, and you're talking about others, and you don't, rec- you don't recognize them. They will come up to you after a meeting, and they'll say, well, why didn't you talk about me? How come you didn't recognize me more in that situation? How, I was a part of that team. How come you didn't mention my name? These are deep-seated insecurity. I'm not talking about a personality type that is maybe a little bit more extroverted and they're naturally just in, a little insecure. I'm talking about a deep-rooted insecurity from, comes from rejection and those will most likely begin to lash out or act out in another manifestation. Maybe it's complete withdrawal. I'm just then I'm not going to have any part of this ever again because you won't recognize me or it's just a complete anger and they they begin to turn into that rage or that that uh, tear you down because I feel so insecure in my own heart. There's a a great statement that Chris Val says and it says this the 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 poverty in a heart will try to tear down an environment that is more wealthy in love. Because it walks into that place and it's so uncomfortable because of the love in that room. It does all it can, all it can to tear down that environment so that it feels comfortable. The insecurities, the hurt, the wounds, the, the poverty feels comfortable now. And so it tries to release toxicity. And that's what we're talking about today. And then number three is pride. People who portray themselves to have it all together. We've, I've got this whole thing figured out. 
They have an opinion on everything. It's almost like you don't even want to have a conversation because they've got an opinion about it. And most oftentimes, it's only their opinion that matters. Pride. And independence, number four. I'll share a little bit later, but I had such a spirit of rejection in my life that I would literally, I would reject others before I could get rejected. I had so many wounds and so many hurts from relationships and and the reason was my own fault in those relationships that, that whenever things would get a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit sensitive and all of a sudden, okay, there's a little bit more intimacy in this. And, and I mean just friendship, guys and guys, girls, girl, girl, girls, girls, whatever the situation, this is too close for my comfort. Now I'm going to do something. It's a trigger moment. Subconsciously, I'm going to do something to push you away so I can protect myself. I'll reject you so I'll never feel rejected. Independence causes this and these people I can make it on my own is what they say I don't need anybody else my this passed on from my father he had a, a, a great sense of rejection because of his upbringing great guy I love my I, I love him he's a great coach he's an amazing coach I am who I am and a leader today because of what my father did for me in the past but he taught me things like this if you can't do it on your own you shouldn't do it independent thoughts and so I struggled to even do anything with others, even though I was a great leader on the football field, great leader on the baseball field, but yet inside of me was still a very independent individual. And I had to make myself, that's my Ava, my bent towards being extremely independent. And I had to begin to force myself whenever I'd see myself pulling away for independence to surrender that to God so that I can work in teams. And that's why I love working in teams. That's why I love what, we, what we're doing at Thrive Community Church because it's about teams of people working with teams of people. And I love working in a team. Now, I still have to push myself at moments because I see that. I'll identify that. That's what I'm talking about. The trigger gets longer. I have to identify that and say, no, I have to engage. There's a tendency I want to pull back, but I have to engage. I have to push forward. And the independence... And then, then the let's see, number sorry, number five is offenses, offense. Those who are easily offended. I mean, uh, these people they take comments so personally. You know, everybody's thought about somebody already. Like, oh yeah, old old Johnny. Uh, <laughs> But, but you may be bantering back and forth just like that. You may be joking, and, and they're joking too, and then all of a sudden, boom, trigger, and they flip, and they say, you, you said something that went way across the line, and I mean, they didn't just lose it a little bit and correct you. They lost it altogether, and they can't stand you anymore. These people, you ever heard about walking on eggshells? These are this is what we call a borderline personality type. Like, I can't do anything. I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. I've got to even think through the process of if I say this, what are the 50,000 things, ways that they could take this, and so I better just be quiet, and all of a sudden you can't be you because this person carries a deep spirit of offense. Offended people. And you start, these people have, have meditated on negative thoughts, evil intentions, lies, worries, fears, you ever been in that place and you had a difficult moment and all of a sudden all these lies start to run through your head? Well, these people in these seven, they've actually entertained these thoughts and they've agreed with these thoughts and they've followed the trail of these thoughts and by the time they quit following the trail of these thoughts, they don't even know where they started and where they came from and now they're lost in these thoughts and now they have deep emotional wounds. John Bevere calls this the offense, the bait of Satan because, boy, he wants to use, it could be a, a third-party offense. Maybe something happened to somebody you know, and boy, when they told, shared it with you, you got so offended. Now you hate the person 
that, that's a, that they're talking about and you don't even know the full story, now you've got a third-party offense. What often happens is party one and party two straighten it out, but they don't tell party three, and party three still bitter and hates party one, and party one and party three used to be friends, but party one doesn't understand why party three's lost their mind. <laughs> party one and party two already straightened this thing out. Party three's lost. Spirit of offense will do it. Tear you down. Uh, number six is excessive shyness or loneliness. Now, again, I'm not talking about personality types. There are introverts, and boy, they just shy, and they're lonely. That's all good. But I'm talking about those who are so rejected, so wounded, that they are literally isolate, not go into solitude. I mean isolate themselves from the world. And they could be in this room right here, yet they are so isolated from the room. They have a fear of anyone ever coming and talking to them because, they, uh, because of their rejection. They've been convinced that they just need to be alone, and they turn it into shyness. I can't engage in any kind of conversation with this person because they might reject me, they might hurt me. It's that kind of pressure, that, that, kind, of, that kind of bondage. And I want to tell you that Lori and Elizabeth are actually in our whole seminar in late August are actually going to be addressing this personality versus spirit versus soul. This whole dynamic right here about understanding your personality type along with the emotional wounds, the, heal, the healing that's necessary. And they're going to bring this home really strong. I, I encourage you. I, I encourage you to be there. And then number seven is control and manipulation. Now let's talk about this for a minute. Control and manipulation. Every person I've met like with this control or manipulation have a very deep spirit of rejection. I mean a deep spirit of rejection. Uh, they, they, with control and manipulation, they have, they're so deep, they're susceptible to being a manipulator. They want, what they want to do is try to control their surroundings around them. They want to make sure that they always are the ones making the moves. And so they may strategically over time or even in a short amount of time begin to manipulate every person, every situation, everything around them to try to navigate it to their advantage so that they can be protected from ever being rejected by any, anyone or anything in their surroundings. They're manipulators. They want to control. But people with this spirit, always, they'll always interrupt a lot. Especially if you're trying to confront them on an issue and really try to deal with the relationship and find healing in the relationship, find a place of agreement, they won't allow you because they'll continue, they'll just speak over you. They'll interrupt you constantly. You're trying to tell your point and boom, they speak, boom, they speak, boom, they speak. It's my life, you might as well just sit there and just take it and because that's the way it's going to be if you're going to be in a relationship with you. They're, they're controlling you, and they can't help it. But here's the thing. They can help it, but deep down inside, they've got to find freedom from the wound. That wound is subconsciously telling them, this is just like when so-and-so, your daddy did this when you were five years old. Your mama slapped you when you were three. This is, just, this is subconsciously. They don't even know why they're doing it. They don't know. They're not consciously thinking, I'm about to interrupt this person. Subconsciously, they're so wounded, they're so hurt, they're just controlling the situation around them. People who try to control and manipulate will control through also through intimidation. 
They'll try, to, they'll try to begin to dominate you. Maybe they talk louder. Maybe they talk stronger. Maybe they start to stand up over you. There's some kind of form of domination that begins to happen so that they can control you or control the environment. I even see it whenever they'll get these beady, all of a sudden their pupils go to really beady because they just want you to see the, the, how serious they really are. What they're showing you is, here's how rejected I really am. And if you don't back down from this conversation, I'm going to lose it. And they're blaming you, but it's really nothing that you've done. It's people in the past. It's rejection that they've had from the past, since the past, and they're still carrying it into their present right now. They'll do it through intimidation. They'll do it through pity. Maybe you're confronting them, or maybe you're just trying to have a conversation, uh, and, and for some reason, they turn everything around. You know, my dog died. I, I lost him. Uh, my, my aunt, boy, she passed away, and, and uh, yeah, I didn't really know her, but my grandmother's, too, her house, her roof blew away. Yeah, she's been dead for five years, but the house has been sitting there, and, and boy, I don't know what we're going to do. Like, anything they can do to make you feel sorry for them so that you will stop talking about whatever it is that you're talking about. Stop confronting them. They want you to know how poor pitiful I am, so I don't need to be, you don't need to confront me right now. In fact, you'll never be able to confront them because it's poor pitiful them all the time. Not only will they use pity, but they'll use crying. You try to confront them. You're trying to do something healthy for the relationship, and all of a sudden they just break down. Every time they break down, it's like you don't even want to go have a conversation with this person because, oh, here comes the waterworks. They're going to break down. And it's because they're trying to manipulate the situation. They cannot cry. They cannot make you have pity. They cannot try to intimidate. But what they're trying to do is manipulate and control you. They were trying to keep you from bringing any kind of change, any kind of confrontation, any kind of healing to the relationship, any kind of true, any kind of true change for them that makes them feel uncomfortable. Here they are. Here's one of their responses, and they're just trying to control and manipulate you so that they can have their way. It's deep, and it's strong. It is really strong. Uh, talk, we talked about broken hearts, and these people with manipulation, they, they can change. I'm going to give you a different situation. Your kids, they cry. My daughter last night was crying, trying to get her to eat dinner, crying, crying, crying. Okay, go to your room. If you're going to cry, go to your room. She goes in and stops crying. I'm not crying. Okay, then come back on here. They can stop. Or they're crying, crying, crying. Would you like some candy? Yes. Hey, they can stop. <laughs> they can stop. And if you, here's the thing, that's really innocent and cool somewhat, but if you don't deal with that, and if that's not dealt with over time, guess what? That woman or that person grows up to be a one. They may use themselves sexually to get what they want, or maybe they cut themselves, they hurt themselves, they abuse themselves only to get what they want from somebody else. They do anything that they can, and they're willing to harm themselves because that's what they've been taught to do all their lives because they didn't have a parent that corrected, or maybe... That's what their parent did to them, and that's what they're perpetuating in their life. But they can stop, and we got to stop it, and we got to let that trigger moment be an invitation to change. So we talked about broken hearts. I want to talk about bruises real quickly. So, we're, so we're gonna, <clears throat> when we talk about bruises, we know what a bruise is. A bruise is when you've been bumped or pressed really hard, something harsh or blunt happened to your skin, and all of a sudden the capillaries, the blood vessels, the capillaries underneath were punctured or busted, and they start to bleed, but it's not so much so that it protrudes through the skin. It just causes a discoloration upon the skin. Some of us wake up in the morning, and you're like, where did that, where did that bruise come from? I don't even know how that happened. 
well, that can heal and it will heal. However, it's very susceptible to be hurt and, and bruised again because the capillaries are still trying to heal. And if they get hit again, they will, they will bleed again and yet they will, they will bruise and cause discoloration yet again. And that's exactly how our souls are. That's exactly the way it is when someone has said something in the past that has wounded you, and so your new life situation hits your soul, and because you haven't found healing in that area, boom, there it all goes again. Boy, you're lit. You're hurt. You're wounded. And you're, you're almost justifying your old wound, and you're probably bl blaming this person or saying that you're right. That's exactly how they would be or this situation would be. Look at this. Remember, I said in Luke 4, 18, the King James Version, that Jesus said he was to set at liberty them that were bruised. So he came to set us at liberty. He came to bring emotional healing. And bruises are inward, inward bleeding, and, but they can hold you in bondage. If Jesus says that I came to set people free who have been oppressed and bruised and crushed, that means that a bruise can actually hold you in bondage because he wants to set that free, set you free from that thing. Bru bruised means crushed. Now, I asked you earlier, have you ever have, had your heart broken? I want to ask you now, have you ever been crushed? You know the difference. Something happened. Maybe you lost a family member, lost a relationship. You lost something. Something that you set up to be sustainability, to be provision, to be comfort. Something in your life was set up to supply for you, and when that thing was removed, boom. Your legs give out like you can't even breathe. You're crushed. Well, Jesus came to heal that. Jesus came to heal that. I want you to, I want you to see this, because what happens is the enemy comes in, and here's one of the strongholds that happens when that takes place. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness enters into the heart, enters into the soul, and boy, it just starts to wreak havoc. Look at this. Matthew 18, 21. I'm going to kind of paraphrase through this to move. This is when Peter came to, to Jesus, and he says, Lord, how often shall I, I forgive my brother who sins against me? He says, seven times? And Jesus says, no, 77. And then he continues, and he says, the kingdom of God is like this. And remember what I told you in, in, in our last series, More Than Words. We talked about parables, and we talked about what those parables mean. And then I asked you to go study Mark 4 and the parable where Jesus says, and he, he explains the parable to the disciples, and he says, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand these parables? And so here we are, and I hope you did your homework because I assigned that to you for that week. Here we are in Matthew 18. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is like this. And he says, a king had a servant who owed him a great amount, and it was a ridiculous amount. In our, in our day, it's actually like $52 million. Basically, Jesus is using the parable to say he owed him so much, he owed him his life, and he never could pay it back. And so this servant comes to the king, and he says, hey, listen, please have compassion, have mercy, please forgive me. And the king had compassion and moved. He was moved with compassion. He says, I forgive you all of your debt. Now that same servant who was forgiven, and I want you to see what Jesus is actually talking about, what this whole parable about is salvation. Because in that moment, that's when the king, that's when the master gave the servant compassion. He gave him forgiveness. He gave him salvation. That's the picture of this. And so he gave him forgiveness, which brought salvation. Jesus forgave you. 
God forgave you through the blood of Jesus when you came to Jesus, and God chose to remember your sins no more. Remember? That's exactly what his word says. That's salvation right there. And so this servant who was saved, now saved, who had been forgiven of all of his debts, he goes and he finds another servant who owes him $44 of today's money, equivalent of $44. And he starts to strangle him and choke him and say, you better pay me my money. And the king finds out and he says this in verse 32. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers. This word tortured also means tormentors. Until he should pay all that was due to him. Verse 35, Jesus, real world, no longer a parable. So my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. He's going to hand us over to the tormentor? What about grace? Jesus is grace. But he says, so too will my heavenly Father, if you don't forgive those who have trespassed against you, hand you over to the torturers. Same as Saul. He says, God's way, you can do it my way. Or you can open a door to the tormentors. It's up to you. Whatever you want to do, God is completely fine with that. But there's a purpose. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. This is Paul. This is the church. The church is established. Paul says, deliver such a one who's causing problems. Deliver him to Satan. This is a man in the church. For the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved. So God releases, allows this, this distressing, this evil spirit, so that his soul will actually be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Remember that evil spirit that came, from, that came upon Saul? That happened, it happened, so we'll repent. It happened so, Paul, so Saul would repent. It happened so that they would say, oh, no, I, I, I want, I'm coming back to God. I now know what bondage feels like, and I don't want to live that life of bondage, and I'll do anything it takes to close that door so that I can be in right standing yet again. I can be in the presence of God, and so I can walk with Him in that abundance and walking in complete freedom. So he said, if you're, going not, if you're not going to forgive someone, if you're going to not forgive someone, he's going to allow you to be tormented so you forgive because otherwise you're going to live a miserable life. How many people walk around with unforgiveness and they're just happy? You're not. You're tortured. You're held back by that event. You're in your mind and subconsciously, you're always connected to anything that ever looks like that moment, that experience, that hurt, that wound. And because we're, because we're not forgiving and we're not choosing to forget, hand that memory over to the Lord to heal, we're connected to it. And all of our relationships are handled out of context of this brokenness and this wound or anything that looks just like this moment that we're not willing to forgive. Because that's the tormentor. That's the torment that we're living under. And Jesus says, unless we forgive, then we are actually releasing the tormentor into our own lives. 
Look at this, James 4, 7 says this, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Please hear me. You can't resist the devil until you submit to all of God's ways. Because for every place there's a gap in this wall, there is an open door to the enemy. And so I can't pick and choose which part of the Word of God I'm going to submit to. I've got to submit to the whole, the whole Word of God. Because in the very areas I'm struggling is because in that area I'm not truly submitted to the Lord. Submission has nothing, I'm sorry, has, has, has to do with the attitude of the heart. Submission is all about the attitude of the heart, and obedience is all about the actions and my actions from which I do of what I'm, I'm asked to do. Well, I'm obedient to the Lord when I'm doing what he's asking me to do. I'm submitted when my heart is willing to have an attitude of submission. Yes, Lord, whatever you say, that's, that's what I want for my life. Look at these verses real quick. 2 Corinthians 10, 10, 2, 10 and 11 now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Literally, if we're walking in unforgiveness, Satan has route. He has open door to take advantage of us. Let me show you how these various spirits enter, our, enter into our lives. Second Corinthians eleven fourteen, And no wonder... For Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. He's an angel of darkness. Holy Spirit is a comforter. And Satan comes in. Let's say a situation happens and, and my wife says something to me and boy, it made me pop. I couldn't stand it because it reminds me of some old relationship or maybe she's just having a bad day, whatever it is, and I feel like it hits me right in my soul. And boy, Satan comes in and whispers, can you believe she said that? You do all the things that you do for her. You go to work every day for her. And she, there she is just sitting there saying words like that. She doesn't appreciate you. And you're like, yeah, I know. I know. She doesn't. You know, this is crazy. I can't believe this. Everything that I do, all, all I've done, and, and here I am. I'm just coming home from work. Yeah. Yeah. And he's comforting you. He's comforting you in your deception. And so he tries to put his arm around you and say, man, yeah, I don't know what you're going to. She'll, she'll, you, see, you see her true colors. Now you see what she really thinks about you. And then maybe you even get it together, and maybe you think this, you know what, I'm a pastor, or I'm, a, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, and I, you know what, I'm going for, to forgive her, but I'm never going to forget this. And he's like, yeah, and so I put my arm back around Satan, and here we are, we're comforting one another. And he's just waiting to destroy and to divide the very thing that God actually put together. And it becomes my agreement with Him. And I go and I need personal ministry. I'm in this altar right here and Lori's praying over me and she's casting out the spirit of bitterness and regret and anger and dissension in Jesus' name. And the spirits inside of me are sitting here saying, we don't have to go anywhere. You can have all that authority stuff you want. But Nathan's agreed with all of our lives, and now he has a, we have an assignment right here. And we have agreement. We have legal contract inside of Nathan until Nathan breaks that contract. And we do have the authority. No matter what we've done in the past, we have all authority in Christ Jesus to personally break that contract. And in that moment, here's where Lori comes in and casts everyone on out. <laughs> or I do it myself. Because you can do that, or you do it yourself, and they must leave in Jesus' name. But the assignment must be broken in Jesus' name. 
listen, I'm, I, I'm saved. We'll get to the end of this. I'm saved. I, I've gone through deliverance. I've gone through emotional healing. I've been physically healed multiple times. But I can tell you there's nothing greater and nothing more continuous as going through emotional healing. And I'm telling you it's continuous because even this week, God showed me some things that were in my life because I wasn't ready to see those because my, I, I, my eyes weren't open to the level of healing that he wants to take, take me into. These are instances and these are, these are context of situations that I've dealt with in the past. However, this particular thing is dealt with so many of life issues, life relationships, life circumstances because of one thing that happened when I was a child. And I begin to live out of that one thing and it has affected a tree, a multitude of issues of relationships in my life. And finally, I'm in a place where God can say, you're still doing this because you think you can overcompensate for this. And I realize, and I watch him, and, I, and I'm sitting here looking at myself from an, a third-party perspective, and I'm seeing myself, how I've handled relationships, and what I've done to, to, to not try to be the superhero, the one who saves them, not try to be their God, and yet I've gone to this other side where I can't do anything for you, I won't do anything for you, it's all on your own in certain situations. There's, there's these things where I tried to be everything for people when they just needed God, they needed a Savior. And in my, when I was young, because that was my role as a child in my family, I could fix everybody's problems because everybody loved me, and all I had to do was jump around and make myself exhausted trying to be everybody's God. And so I would, I, it, it's growing up and through high school and through, and through young, uh, younger ages, I would have this anxiety in my mind of whenever I went away from a situation, did I, did I handle that right? Was I a good enough friend? Was I okay? Was this okay? Are they feel, are they even feeling okay? Are they going to be okay? Am I, you know, and then I would try to over-engage and I would try to over-please and, and try to be, and what happens is you, you quench, you literally choke out the very thing that you're trying to bring to preservation, and so there's this opposite side of the spectrum. Well, I'll just do nothing. They can figure it out on their own. And that's just a negative response to the very thing that God is trying to heal. Because the sweet spot is, I'm here if you need me, but I'm not your God. But I can lead you to God. But I'm not going to chase you down. I can't chase you down. Because I'm not. I'm not that guy. I'm not your God. And what we need to come is to come to Jesus. We need to bring those issues to Jesus. And sometimes we need a friend. But we need to pursue those friends. We need to allow the independence to go away. And we need to ask for help. We need to let go of the insecurities. And we need to ask for help. Because we all need help. But you can't expect every people to read your mind. And maybe you've been hurt and the other person never asked for forgiveness. But according to this story right here, Jesus has washed your feet. Jesus has forgiven all of your debts. Jesus has made you clean and he will make you clean again. He gives you a way, he gives me a way to come to him for all of our needs, all of our healing. 
I want to minister to you. If you will, just get in that place because this is very responsive, very interactive. Where you're with the Lord, so I want to minister emotional healing to you. Don't think about leaving. Don't move around. Don't be distracted because everything inside of you is saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. What's about to happen will be life-changing, I promise you. I'm going to ask God to bring up old memories that He wants to deal with. He wants to heal you from. And maybe it's memories. Maybe it's, it's, it, it can be tough. Listen, there's Kleenex up here. After this worship, there's going to be an altar team to pray with you. They are trained. Maybe you've been molested. Maybe you've been left behind, abandoned. Maybe you've been through divorce. Maybe you've been through financial bankruptcy. Maybe you've been raped. Maybe you've been, been through a terrible car accident and you still carry anger towards the other driver. Maybe somebody wasn't there for you like you thought they should have been there for you. And maybe God is bringing up a memory or a bank of memories that are connected to these things. Maybe it's something that you've done and it wasn't something that was done to you. You went out living out of these wounds and you did all these things and what you found that you were, was that you were empty and drained and feeling lowly at the end of all of those experiences. And God wants to speak to you about the root of that. Maybe, maybe he needs you to forgive others. When we forgive others and we choose to forget, what we're doing is actually handing him the memory so that Satan can no longer use that memory against you. The memory may come up, but the feelings attached to that memory will never feel the same. And maybe you need to forgive yourself. So I'm going to ask you, if this has happened, if God is bringing memories to you, would you stand up? It was about 70% of the, of the room last service. So I'm just going to lead you in a very simple prayer. I'm going to give you time, because I know the Holy Spirit is speaking. I'm just asking you to stand up in response to what he's saying to you, the memories that he wants to address. I don't want you to leave here wounded, hurt. This is a heavy message. If you will pray this after me. Father, I submit these memories to you. I ask you to heal me now from all the stress and give me holy forgetfulness. I choose now by an act of my will to forgive, to forget, and to be healed in Jesus' name. Now stay right there because I want pray to pray over you. And Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you that you heal memories. And right now, Lord, as I'm speaking, I command all stress related to these memories to go right now in Jesus' name. And I command every spirit that's attached to these memories to go in Jesus' name. Every spirit of insecurity, every spirit of fear, every spirit of anger, 
every spirit of bitterness or unforgiveness or resentment or control or manipulation or rejection, I command you to go right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you that you heal our souls, that you heal the brokenhearted, that you set at liberty those who are bruised. And I declare to Satan, you can never again use these memories against my brothers and my sisters as they are healed today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.